Welcome everyone. I have Gail Breton on the SEO Life podcast show today, and I'm super excited to dive in and talk about all things related to SEO and of course, Authority Hacker and the things that they're working on over there. So super, super excited to have him on. Thank you so much for being on, Gail. Well, thanks for inviting me. I've been uh, reading your blog for a while, actually. So it's, uh, I was uh, quite happy to be invited. Thanks for that. Yeah, of course. So um, let's start out with uh, some basic stuff here. So, you know, what's your background and, you know, not just kind of where you got in SEO, but actually even before, you know, what kind of led you up to getting into SEO? Uh, honestly, it's pure luck. It's, it's, like, um, it's like I was finishing my degree in France. Uh, I had been studying part of my degree in Hong Kong at the time, in Hong Kong University of Science and Technology uh, in business, international business. So I actually learned import-export stuff, despite the fact that I do zero e-commerce. Um, but that's really not what led me there. It's like I had to do a six-month internship for that, the end of my studies. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life, but I knew I wanted to go back to Asia. So I... Uh, looked for an internship in Hong Kong, but at the time it was uh, 2008, which was probably the worst time to look for any kind of job in Hong Kong because it was just <laughs> after the crisis in one of the most financially exposed cities in the world. Um, so I did not find an internship in Hong Kong. Uh, I found the next best, best thing, which I found an internship in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, and I was like, you know what, I'll try it. Um, and it was in an SEO agency at the time, actually. And I had no idea what SEO was. I just, I was good with computers. Like I've always like built my own computers and I've always been good with tech and everything. Like no problem opening the console when I was 12 in my computer and like, you know, putting, like doing jokes to my mom and like playing with her CD opener, like her CD player, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, that was fun, but like, so that was no problem. I was like, okay, I can do computer stuff. Um, and uh, I landed in Kuala Lumpur for six months and I knew nobody. But I had, uh, I was lucky to have like a nice place to stay. There was like a swimming pool uh, upstairs. And since I knew nobody, I just started, I didn't understand what I was doing at the office. So I started buying books about SEO and I started reading on the side of the pool, basically. Um, so kind of, kind of how I got started. Uh, that internship went well. So I, I got hired actually at the end of this internship. I had to go back to France to finish my studies. So I was there for another six months, but I worked remotely. Uh, since it was, I was trendy before the time, I guess. Um, and uh, after that, I went back to Kuala Lumpur for nine months, eight, nine months, I think. Um, and I worked as a full-time employee. I was starting to like run some accounts and understand things a bit. It's been, I had around a year of experience there. Then this company wanted to open an office in London and I'm French, I'm European. It was easy for me to go back there. Uh, so I went to London to like scout for an office for them and, uh, and you know, try to help out basically. Um, but the problem is, I'll be completely honest with you, that uh, as a fresh graduate, my life, in my life in Kuala Lumpur was amazing. I was able to like have an apartment with like a swimming pool, etc., save some money. It was great. But then when I moved to London, my salary got barely reevaluated, so I ended up with like three and a half pounds per per meal to eat. Otherwise, I was just losing money walking. <laughs> yeah. So so that's what happened. Um, so it's like I still kept with this for a bit, but I was almost losing money, essentially waking up early in the morning and doing stuff. Um, but I got a lot from like networking events. I was, I was like staying in central London. So I was going to networking events every night and like meeting people, getting opportunities, etc. And, um, and the truth as well is that uh, there was this agreement with the management on how campaigns should be run for SEO. As we talked in the print or like how SEOs have different visions, I think 
maybe that was me developing my own vision, having a strong character and like starting to like diverge from the, the main line of the company and how things should be run. Sure. Um, and so, and so like, uh, yeah, so I ended up disagreeing with them and we ended up starting uh, our own agency with the guy who is still my uh, business partner right now, Mark. Uh, we've been working together for 10 years now, actually. Uh, I met wow. him in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, on my, uh, we met two common friends in Singapore when I was on my way to Kuala Lumpur. And uh, I, yeah, and we got friends and then we eventually started a company. He was a project manager. I was doing SEO. And uh, yeah, I moved to Budapest at the time where he was living. And I slept on his floor when we started our agency. And I was working on the same floor. I had about 700 euros left after spending most of my money in London. And uh, we bought, I remember we bought um, SEO Power Suite because, you know, you could do the white label reports and so on. Sure. <laughs> so we bought this to start the agency. And then we had almost no money left at the end. His parents had to pay for a deposit so that I can have a bed. Uh, <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that's how it started. Um, but, but long story short, the company went pretty well after about four months, five months. The agency was at maybe thirty-five to $40,000 a month recurring income. Sure. So we did a good job with sales. We ranked for some keywords. Actually. We ranked number one for cheap SEO, which is a horrible keyword. Never ranked for that. Uh, but we did at the time. <laughs> um, and uh, so we got some clients, it went well. This company went on to, I think we had like 30, 30, 30 to 35, I don't remember, it's been a while now, but like uh, 30 to 35 employees and like a big office in Budapest. Uh, so it, it got pretty big. We got clients like, I did SEO for Flippa for 99designs. I worked with Expedia, I worked with Macy's. Uh, I worked with like Nigel Lawson. She's like a celebrity chef in the UK as well. We worked with like some pretty big brands basically. Um, and, uh, it was interesting, right? Because it, it taught me that even simple tasks, like updating title tags, right? It's, it's, it sounds simple, but when Expedia comes to you and it's like, well, you just got to update our title tags for this file. It dump you like a 100 megabits, uh, Excel file. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then you open it and you're like, oh shit. Um, and then there's like a hundred thousand title tags to update. And they're like, well, see you in two days. Um, and <laughs> like, okay, great. How are you going to do that? And it's like a whole challenge of like how, like using remote workers, mechanical Turks, having collaborative systems so that people can verify stuff. And so like a lot of like challenges, even around simple SEO tests that we discovered through uh, work as an agency. Uh, and then the truth is we had a big discussion with Mark and we were like, we don't like having clients. <laughs> we don't like, um, we, we like doing like cool advanced stuff. Like the stuff I mentioned was cool. Um, but the truth is when you have an agency, you're often just fixing very basic things for your clients or just spending your time trying to convince them to do these basic things. And um, yeah. we were a bit tired of that. And so we decided to start uh, taking some of the profit of the company and start our own sites just to see. And uh, it went pretty well. And uh, as it went pretty well, we decided that this is what we wanted to do long term. So we kind of like set things up and we ended up selling our agency and Getting, getting out of all of that. And it was just me and Mark again, starting, starting fresh with a bit more cash in the bank than the first time. Uh, and then ever since then, we've been running our own web properties and we uh, run a website called Atari Hacker that essentially talks about that journey. So it's kind of like, we have a podcast as well and we have the blog. It's not as active now, it's gonna come back a bit more later, but like um, where we just share our experiences running our own web properties and, you know, the services we've used and the good and fail and the bad and the failures and all of that. And it seems like people have liked it uh, quite a bit so far. 
And uh, because people liked our process as well, we also have a course on Atari Hacker. There are two courses even that we sell uh, to people who are interested, but there's a lot of free content. So yeah, that's it. That's, sure. how I got, that's how I got on this podcast, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, there's a lot for me to unpack there. So um, thank you for sharing. Um, so let, let's go back um, to when you were first getting started. Um, so you said you read SEO books, um, and that mm -hmm. was around 2008. So back then, there, there probably wasn't as much information no. about SEO as there is it now. Was terrible. <laughs> yeah, so I'm assuming, yeah, how were those books? Did they actually help you? Um, I mean, there, there was still like core principles, like search intent, for example, understanding what people want when they type something on Google. And it's, it's like, I take that for granted now. I look at a query and I know exactly, or like if I want something, I know how to translate that into a query really, really well, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But then I look at other people Googling and I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing. And, yeah, of and, course. Uh, and so like th there is some core principle and like just, you know, clustering keywords into like, like multiple keywords into one page and things like that to like, like, you know, focus on topics for pages and then track multiple keywords for one page, etc. So it was still basic, um, but there was still some value to it. But I, I mean, if I would not recommend to read these books today. basically. Yeah. So it, it taught you some foundational stuff that did exactly. actually help you long term. Exactly. I think it was called the keyword formula. The main, the main book, like uh, there was like a big one that I read and it was called the keyword formula. And it's like, I think that's the one I was mentioning about the search intent, etc. Don't buy yeah. it. <laughs> no, did you did you get it from Amazon or like where did you even find it? I, I was in Malaysia. I just got it in the shop, man. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So um so then you and Mark started the agency. Um so that was what around 2010 or so? Yeah. Okay, great. Um and so how did you guys get, you know, you said you had some of these big clients. So what what got you to that point where you could land those those big ones? Honestly, uh, it's all, I mean, the agency game is a networking game, right? It's like who you know. And, 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 you know, most companies will pretend they're like looking for an SEO company, but it's usually the friend of a friend or something like that that ends up getting hired. Um, so it's very much a networking game, uh, much more than uh, when we started, though, we started by ranking for keywords. So we actually like practice what we preach. It was less competitive at the time, obviously. So it's like we did get some decent keywords. Like uh, and and not, again, I talk about search intent. We didn't get the search intent where we ranked for cheap SEO. Like we didn't understand who who the hell we would get on the other. Yeah, side. of course. Because otherwise, <laughs> we would never have done that. Um, so you know, I I started understanding search intent at the time. Um, <laughs> I, I think I understand a bit a bit better now. Um, but yeah, we ranked for several keywords. We got some clients. We had a live chat on the site, and then people came. But these were mostly small businesses. I think when we started, it was we were selling our services at six hundred dollars a month or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then we made like a cheap link building package because at the time, obviously you were using article networks and all of that. Like there was no penguin, there was no panda, there was none of that. It was just sure. pretty gray hat. Um, and, and we also made, we started expanding on the more expensive side of things and custom consulting. Um, and then we had a friend that partnered with us that, you know, was this networking guy, right? He would just go to these networking events every day and so on. One of the guys that I knew from London, actually. And um, he landed us a lot of clients from these things. And that's, that's how we got started. Then it was reputation and getting to know people. Like for example, how did we sign Macy's? We got Macy's through a PM on Wicked Fire. Um, so um, oh Wicked Fire was like, <laughs> it was like a gray hat, pretty dodgy SEO forum at the time. I'm not sure, I don't think it's active anymore. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, like that's how that's how we got messages. And the funny thing is, I'm not American, right? So and I had not been to the U.S. at that point. So he's like, uh, oh, like I'm working for Macy's and I, I need some help. We need some help with uh, link building and outreach. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'll check your website out. Because I, I didn't know what Macy's was because it's like, it doesn't exist outside the US. Yeah. And I, I realized after what I was dealing with, obviously we did not do SEO for Macy's. We didn't do all SEO. We were helping the SEO department for some campaigns, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, so I think it's, uh, it's very much of a try to be everywhere, try to meet people and, and talk to people even more than ranking for keywords, to be frank. Uh, ranking for keywords became less and less of a thing as we were developing relationships. So it's, it's pretty interesting how the SEO business is actually not SEO-based for lead gen very often. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny you say that because you know a lot, of, a lot of the biggest agencies where I am in St. Louis, most of them have virtually no online presence at all. <laughs> so, yeah, and they have a terrible uh, website and everything, right? It's like, yeah, it's, but, but they're, they're masters in business development and yeah. sales. So that's, you know, that's, I think, you know, as SEOs, we get kind of wrapped up in this idea of ranking, but we forget that there's like other ways to grow businesses outside of ranking. Of business, you know, <laughs> just one traffic source and there's so many. I mean, even Facebook ads, I think, I think you would probably be more successful with Facebook ads at SEO Legion than you would be uh, at SEO Legion with SEO. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I've actually, you know, my website's been ranking for like St. Louis SEO company for mm-hmm. literally since the day I started. And I've only had a few big clients even come out of that. Most of them are, yep. are smaller time clients and um, it, it's rare where you get the big, the big leads. They usually always come from referrals. So yeah, people want the recommendation from their friends. They want someone to blame when it doesn't work, you know? So um. it, ex- yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So, so you guys, so how long did you guys stick with the agency work? Um, so four you started in 2000, oh, so four years. So you went till about 2014. Yeah. Um, and Even from 2015, like, okay. And it wasn't until then that you started to slowly transition out. So, um, we had a year of transition where we had both, right. Where we were like, well, let's invest some of the profit into building our own properties and see where it's going. Right. So I think we took 20% of the profit and we just were like, well, let's put it in web properties and then, um, use it as a way to try new tactics that we can use for clients as well and try to be a little bit more edgy and not ask for permission and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and that's what we did. But the thing is, like, uh, we did quite well. And the rankings were going much faster than for our clients, <laughs> surprisingly. Yeah. Um, not, not because we were doing a bad job for our clients, but because, you know, we decided to change something. We did it. We didn't have to, like, like uh, book a call, go on a call, talk to them, wait for them two weeks to think about it, then forget to reply, so you ping them. And then they, maybe they say no, and then you have to get another call to convince them again. So it was much faster, basically. So that, that helped a lot. Yeah, so you... Obviously, you like that workflow much more, um, and that's why you stop. You've you've been with that since. Um, yeah. Now, if, let, let's say you were just starting today, um, or someone else was starting. You were giving them advice. Would you? Which direction would you try to push them in? Would you say, well, client SEO is good for beginners because you can get money fast, or would you say, you know, you know, ride it out and do affiliate marketing? Uh, affiliate marketing doesn't pay off right away, right? It's like if you need money yeah. tomorrow, don't do affiliate marketing. Um, because it's, it's more of a long-term play. So it's like, for us, it worked well because we had the agency, we had some cash, we were able, we, were, we took a year to literally just invest uh, and uh, invest our time and invest our money to like test it out. And even if it didn't work, well, we lost some profit, but it's like, we still had a business to fall back on, et cetera, right? So it's like, as much as I like it, I also understand that it's not for everyone right now. 
that you need to put yourself in a situation where you can get it. And and the truth, especially, is that now it's more competitive than when we started, and it's like like everything. But uh, if one thing that I like, if you're a beginner, is to pick like let's say you want to do affiliate marketing, but you can't afford it. You pick a part of the process and you make it as a service. And then what it allows you to do is to work on websites that will look like the sites that you'd like to own yourself. And that builds up your experience while you're paying the rent and the bills and all of that, and maybe saving some for your own projects later, right? So I like to stay as close as possible to what I am. So maybe I would not do a general uh, SEO agency. Maybe I would be like, um, hmm, what could I, I could maybe, I mean, link building service is the most obvious. Um, but even like, I don't know, a keyword research service. Like I'll find you like low hanging fruit keywords in your niche and you'll pay me. I, I'm not sure it's easy to sell, right? That's like, I haven't done the market research, but like, I'd be like, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll do that report and you'll pay me, you know, $5 per keyword or something like that. But I really put the time into Ahrefs and all of that and spend hours digging the absolute best opportunities I can find for you, you know? And yeah. Um, but then what it does is like people will send you their URLs. Maybe you'd be like, well, I need your analytics reports so that I can look at like what's working for you, all of that, et cetera. And you get all that knowledge while being paid. Yeah. Um, and, and, then, and then also you get to meet the people, right? You, because it's also, affiliate marketing is also a network game, right? It's like the, the commissions that you see on the affiliates page are for most things. Like you can get much higher commissions once you actually get to know the people, build the relationships, negotiate, et cetera. Um, we had sometimes three to four times higher commissions than what was listed publicly just by building a relationship with the companies, the affiliate managers, et cetera. So, um, and the thing is like, you're going to work for people who know these people. So um, that's, that's what I would recommend. So I think there is definitely a place that I don't regret having done a service-based business initially. It gave me a lot of training. It allowed me to work on sites that are much bigger than the sites that we run today. I mean, we don't have a site like 99designs or uh, Flippa or Expedia. So it was, it was interesting developed our mind. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely a role for people who want to do services and it's a great training role. Yeah. And that's, it, it's funny you say that because that's, that's usually my recommendation for people when they're getting started. Obviously I think that they should get results first and then take on clients, you know, because that's yeah. the ethical, ethical way to do it. Um, but um, you know, clients is just such a great way to get cash flow, which then you can reinvest that into whatever you want. Um, and you're, you're a perfect example of that. Yeah, I think the getting result part though, that's why I said like focus on one tiny part of the process and the whole thing because getting results for clients that don't want to change their website, have shit code, run on weeks, uh, like have a web dev that is fighting against you every time you're asking for something and uh, have a terrible design taste every time you want to build landing page together is quite difficult. Um, yeah. However, building links, for example, is a lot less reliant on how compliant your clients are than, and the success is the link is built and it's a good link versus the site is up and the client's making more money. So you're taking a bit less responsibilities, but you're actually getting good at what you're doing, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so let's dive into a little bit when you first started out these, these new websites, when you were trying to get out of the agency life, um, what, what were those sites and are they still around today or did they end up going down and what, what were the, you know, the SEO tactics you were using back then that maybe you wouldn't use now? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, so at the time, at the time Penguin was passed, right? When we started site. So, um, so before Penguin, I had no remorse using Unique Article Wizard and Linkvana and Build My Rank and all these networks because that's what everyone was doing anyway. And to be frank, you had no chance as a white hat because these links were counting pretty much equally at that point. Um, yeah. Not the case anymore. Then Penguin happened and it, it really shifted the, 
uh, the industry, and that's when things like um, what what was the name for the, of the service from Unsmarty? Give oh, uh, uh, blog. I cannot think. Yeah, my blog guest. My, yeah, my blog guest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> so that was this time, right? <laughs> Let's just contextualize the whole like scenario at the time because, like, you, I'm gonna say stuff that's gonna sound horrible today. Um, uh, so yeah, like, the, uh, and uh, one site that we shared at the time, we didn't share every project we had, but we shared one site called the uh, Health Ambition. Uh, that site did well until uh, the fir- the second round of the Medicare Day A got obliterated, like wrong time, wrong place. Um, yeah. Because hey, we're not doctors. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, of course. And uh, and uh, and you know, they, uh, before that, these sites were doing really well, and that site made us like seven figures in revenue. Uh, it was really good. Uh, it was it was a good property, and it, I still don't regret my investment. But it has gone down since. But at the time, um, at the time, content was shit on the internet. Let's start with that. Um, so it was not how to outclass most people, because we were at the time where people were were still writing five hundred word uh, SEO articles. Yeah. And um, and so and so it was quite easy to jump in and like just invest a bit more resource and like end up with like. I would say the average word count for our content was like 1,000 to 2,500 words maybe. And we were like doing a lot of research, maybe quoting influencers, et cetera, like trying to do stuff that you will see every day nowadays, but we were doing it before people. Uh, and we were posting one article a day and then, uh, yeah, we were using my blog guest and stuff like that to uh, start building links and just like, uh, we were basically quite pioneer on outreach, like the day Penguin hit, even before, like I was talking to, uh, to partners, I was like, yes, we have to change. Like, Google is not gonna let these these um, out the build my rank stuff, etc., forever. Um, so we need to do that. So we were quite good at this, and that's the only two things that we did. And the monetization was pretty bad at the beginning. I think it's one thing that we had to figure out. We knew how to rank stuff, but we didn't know how to make money from it. And uh, and a lot of SEOs are like that. Um, and so that's when we started learning about affiliate marketing. We got quite big on ClickBank, actually. Uh, like. We would like basically one of the, the first business models we had was write info content, catch emails with opt-in pop-ups, and then uh, send a mix of new content that we publish, tips and tricks, and affiliate promos. And then the email list would make the money. So sure. that was one of the first business models we did. Uh, we tried AdSense, but it was crap. I think we were making $3 per thousand visitors. To give you a point of reference, before all the crazy coronavirus stuff, ads were benchmarking around. 20 to $30 with networks like AdStrive. So um, we were making almost 10 times less at the time. Um, so that didn't work very well, but I felt marketing, that's what really stuck with us. We started writing uh, reviews for products, um, like uh, comparisons, a lot of stuff that you see to these days as well. But again, this is at the time where nobody was doing it. And uh, and yeah, and we built an editorial team, built links and uh, and months after months, the site was making a bit more money every month and it built up that way basically. So that's how we were structuring our stuff initially. Sure. Yeah. And obviously, you know, your, your course focuses on authority websites. So I'm assuming that's, that's really what the focus was in the beginning too. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like authority websites is like every, everyone's an authority these days. Um, and so it's, and, and it's quite difficult to determine that because when an SEO says authority website, they imagine just a site with high DR. Um, and uh, when you talk to someone that's like an Instagram uh, about what is an authority, they give you a very different definition. Um, yeah. So I think um, I think it's uh, it's it's quite open to interpretation. And actually, our own interpretation of that is changing quite a bit. We're kind of like so we've started from what I call the opportunist internet marketer point of view. 
where we're really good at the, basically we can get into any niche and we could like just dig it and get some traffic, etc. Uh, the thing is like we're getting into a, a time now where Google is like rewarding experts and overall just your ability to monetize is much more tied to your ability to connect with your audience than just rather than just ranking for the keyword. Like same on you, like you put a lot of effort on your blog posts, right? You don't just try to write them so they rank on Google. Um, you write them so people engage with it and then consider buying your services or, or courses. Um, and so because of that, our own definition of authority is changing and a site like Health Ambition that I mentioned is definitely not a site I would build today anymore, you know? Sure. And is that, would you say that's because of just the quality standards, at least in that sector, have gone up so much? I mean, it's kind of like both, right? It's like, it's this and, and just, I'm getting older, I guess, you know? It's just, I want to do cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's like, I, I just like, it's like building a, like, Building another site in a niche that I don't care about is, is semi-interesting to me. We've done it many times. And, uh, and it's like, even though it makes money and it can work well, um, I, we found ways to essentially combine things we're actually interested in with business and being able to make money. So we, we focus on that and it allows us to build more authentic sites, sites sorry, and, uh, and makes us happier as people in general. Yeah, so how, how important do you think that is to have a passion of the topic? I mean... The thing is, like, it's, I mean, you, you've managed writer, you probably know that, but like, when you have writers and you know nothing about the topic, you know they're going to give you shit content and you will not even realize, right? Um, sure. And uh, it's like, if you work with a client, you can rely on the client's expertise, but if you don't have a client, it's a little bit tricky. So you need to be at least involved to some extent just to manage your teams and to be able to have a discussion about the topic and, and push editorial a little bit, because if you don't push people, uh, it gets it, it gets quite dirty quite fast, and the thing is, like someone else is going to be willing to learn the niche and outpace you in content. Which, you know, if you're using SEO tricks, you might beat them for a while. But um, you know, this kind of like passive link earning stuff after several years really plays in, and you're essentially like swimming against the current. You know. Sure. Yeah. So um, one thing I want to cover with you in particular, um, and because you do kind of push the, you know, authority type of website, and I know that's kind of an ambiguous term, mm -hmm. um, but do you ever believe it's a good situation to do micro websites? And that could apply to, you know, on the national level, micro websites, or even on the, mm -hmm. the local level, because there's obviously a segment of our market that, you know, builds out these rank and rent type of websites on the local level, which are very micro. Um, so do you ever think that's a good idea or, you know, it's just kind of whatever you feel is. Actually, actually more and more, right? Again, authority is a very ambiguous term, right? If you're like, an, if you're like really good at a tiny thing, but you're like really good at it, it's like, I'm looking at it from a business perspective, right? And, and the, how much money you're going to make is uh, how much money you make daily multiplied by how long you make that money. Um, and, these micro niche sites, what they allow you to do is not a lot of money daily, but you can hold these rankings forever. Like I was looking at some micro niches recently and like some sites are here for 10 years, right? So even if they don't yeah. make that much money, um, if you actually add up all the money they've made over the years and, and they don't seem, this is not nearly as shaky when there's like a Google core update that just like literally goes and play bowling with your rankings. Um, it's like, uh, it's because there's no competition. <laughs> Google has nobody else to put in this uh, on these keywords, you know, and sure. uh, and so you don't you end up gaining stability and uh, and and it plays if you're trying to play the long term game. And the uh, in terms of absolute money you make, I think it's a good uh, a good value 
for your time more and more actually we used to be more broad it's actually we just did a podcast last week on like 10 things we like we wouldn't recommend you do anymore like we where we took stuff that we recommended before and we don't anymore and uh one of them was uh focus on broad niches only uh and i we more and more look at smaller niches uh as a way also to dodge the mega publishers that you will find on many subs these days um you know like when New York Times buy up the wire cutter and multiply the number of pages by 100, when you have the guys from uh, .dash that used to be about .com that run like very well feet and very well health and all of that, etc. Yeah. Against these guys now on the content game. And so one way to dodge them is to have a site that is more topically relevant about these few keywords than their broad site. And even with lower authority and all of that, you can still beat them on the keywords. Whereas it's much harder if you're trying to build a site that's as broad as theirs, but has lower authority and less content. You know? Yeah, it's so it's so funny the way the SEO industry swings on a pendulum. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> for years it was all about the microsites and the the EMDs, yeah. and then that, and then that got hammered, and then everyone switched to like you know huge authority sites, and now everyone's like, whoa, I don't want to get hit by these penalties anymore. Let's switch back. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not even uh, sure the, the penalties. It's just a big site. Like the the yeah. industry has evolved massively. There's a lot more corporate players on these subs there is, that were yeah. nowhere to be found like two years ago. You know. Yeah. And then, you know, you mentioned dot dash and I've just been studying their business model like crazy mm -hmm. and they just, they, Interesting, right? yeah, they just have so many properties that are just destroying like everyone. They their sites as well. They started with verywellhealth.com yeah. and then they split it to verywellfit and verywellhealth and then they split it again. So they kind of like took about.com, which was one domain and they split it and it doubles the traffic. They split it again, it doubles the traffic again, etc. And they're getting more and more niche themselves actually. It's quite yeah, I know. To see these big corporations to understand that level, that actually niching down gets you more traffic as well. And, and, and these guys do get it for sure. Yeah. And that's, it's funny because about.com was like your ultimate authority website. They did yeah. everything. So the fact that they're breaking it down shows that that's really the trend. Um, it's also wor it's also worrisome because obviously they have a lot of money that they can invest in these properties, and yeah. uh, and and when you look at their when you look at their editorial standards, they're just through the roof. Yeah, so. I mean it's pretty good for uh, for the amount of content. The the, the, the ratio of uh, content volume against content quality is it would be very hard to match. You know. Yeah. So I I think um, I think it's smart that you're you've made authority such an ambiguous thing because it really is. I mean, um, yep. you can be an authority in a very micro topic um, and it's still technically an authority. So, um, exactly. and, Which and, is and what I, we tend to recommend beginners to do these days because it actually give, there's room there. For, whereas if you go broad, I mean, it's, it's quite complicated. You know, if you try to be a fitness authority, good luck, you know? Oh, I would never do that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> man. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's great. So a um, couple more questions, and these are going to be non-SEO related. And obviously, like, we have so much to cover, so I'm hoping maybe I can get you back on so we can go again, because I, okay. I, I planned this very poorly. I thought 30 minutes would be enough time to really dive into things, but uh, clearly, uh, this is my second interview of the day, and uh, we haven't okay. gotten into things the way that we should. But um, so a couple, couple things, non-SEO questions. Uh, number one, uh, you know, what does your average day look like, you know, from when you wake up to when you shut it down? Um, it really depends, actually. It's like we kind of work in sprints in our company. So we have like a one project that we're working on at the time. And so I'm a person that's pretty obsessive. So I just pick one thing and I just think about nothing else. I don't answer to my emails. I don't answer to messages. I, don't, I just do this and that's it. 
And so, so for that reason, my day is not the same. But what I make sure of is that all our employees are working on that goal, that the tasks are broken down for them. Before we have a, mo a morning call at 9 a.m. with our team. And so before that call, I'm on my computer around 8 a.m. Uh, and I make sure that uh, everyone has tasks lined up. We use Asana for that. I ping the people that need to be pinged. Basically, I try to, by 9.30, I want to be done with talking to people and I want to focus on what I want to focus on. So I do all my management at that time. Then I basically probably walk till 12. Then I go do, every second day I go do a workout, then eat, then come back around 2 p.m. And then I'll probably walk till 6 p.m. on my main task. And then after that, uh, 6 to 8, if I still have the energy, I'm either recording a podcast or I am, again, working on management. If we need to hire, if we need to do some HR, um, looking at stats as well, like, you know, like uh, looking at how we're doing with lead generation, how some email campaigns are running, how some inbuilding campaigns are going, uh, looking at the stats, evaluating people, that kind of stuff. And then I'm watching something stupid on Netflix or something. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good flow. So do you, um, you know, it's actually very similar to the way I work too. Um, I've always found that having singular focus on like per day is like the only way I can work. If I try to do like okay. 50 different things, I just like fail at everything. So um, yeah, it's interesting. Have you, was that something you kind of adopted over time and just found that's your best workflow? I mean, it's like Mark and I, we're quite perfectionist on what we do. We want things to be done right. And it's, you cannot do things right when you try to do multiple things at once. I mean, some people do, but um, then what happens is like things get done slowly and it's frustrating, you know, because essentially you're splitting your time. Um, so uh, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's something that we've learned and the more we focus, the more, the better we did as a company. So every, like most of our quarterly meetings is what can we cut off actually. It's not really like trying to take new stuff. It's more like, let's focus on what's working. Let's cut off even more stuff and just refine what's working using analytics to figure out what's working and do more of it basically. So uh, it's pretty boring when we explain what we do to people because like, well, I did the same thing again. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but, but it's like, it's what's worked for us as a company and uh, it's been quite successful in the last few years. Yeah. So on the uh, management side of things, so you're, you're doing a meeting every day at nine yeah. um, and uh, five days a week, correct? Yep. Okay. And we so have and a, a weekly meeting as well. That's like a little bit longer. The, the morning one is like 15 minutes where everyone says what they've done and what they will be doing. Sure. Yeah. And have you found that that's kind of the best workflow for you guys? Yeah, I mean, especially when you work remotely. I mean, we didn't start working remotely with the COVID stuff. We always, like we had a remote team for the past three years now. Um, yeah. So it allows you to create some connection with people, have a, like hear their voice. Uh, it's also like, feels like the start of the day for people, right? It feels like you're kicking it off and it's like, maybe you can put some energy behind them and, and push them and it, it works. It works well, basically. Um, so we enjoy it. Everyone enjoys yeah. it. Yeah, and that's it's probably nice to have that consistency every day. At least you know that's mm -hmm. that's just what's going to happen every day. Yeah, um, we have that rule where the last person that joins the call has to start, so everyone's on time as well. It works really well. <laughs> that's smart. Some little checks and balances in there. Um, so, okay, so a couple more questions. Uh, COVID-19, has that affected your guys' business at all? Um, not as much as the Amazon commission rate cuts. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like I mentioned, a lot of people who follow us, uh, like we, we haven't built a lot of Amazon sites recently, but a lot of people who start with affiliate marketing and followers do start with Amazon because it's easy. 
and it converts well and you don't need to be a pro marketer to sell to make amazon efforts you don't need to warm people up etc um so that has affected people quite a bit um in terms of us and our businesses and our sites not not really i mean it's like it's like me i go out quite a bit but mark my business partner he goes out so little i think his life does, hasn't changed at all literally <laughs> yeah sure yeah and that's you know amazon's been a big uh topic of discussion so are you yeah. are you guys are you telling your community to move away from it or what is your kind of uh messaging I mean, on that it's not that simple right it's like it's yeah like but people got mad but they had no plan you know <laughs> it's sure. like okay you want to move out but like where are you going and and when you start looking at the other you're like it's actually not that great either like depends on niche obviously like some for example, if you're in a pet niche, there's a lot of opportunities. If you're in a golf niche, there's opportunities. But like some smaller niches, there's nothing much better. And, um, and the thing as well that happened is there was kind of like a domino effect because when Amazon cut their rates, I think uh, Walmart cut their rates like the week after, for example. Yeah, I think so. And so, and so you know, Amazon is the benchmark. It's the biggest affiliate program uh, in the industry. And so... Uh, to some extent, people will follow it. No, I mean, we recommend people diversify, right? We don't just do affiliate marketing. We do affiliate marketing, we sell digital products, and we monetize with advertising as well. Like programs like uh, Mediavine and AdThrive and Ezoic are really good, for example. And uh, they allow us to monetize informational content. The rates have gone down recently because, well, COVID-19, right? But the difference between ads and Amazon is that Amazon decides what the commission rate is, whereas ads are set by supply and demand, which hopefully will come back up at some point. So sure. um, we, we've always recommended people start with affiliate marketing, but develop into other ways. The problem is Amazon was so good that people were just sticking to Amazon and that has hurt some people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, <clears throat> Amazon's been playing these games now for a few years. I mean, I remember I was just, the last interview I was on, I was saying how, they cut the uh, fees on technology-based things a while back, yeah. and people were so mad about that. But then they stuck with them, um, and you know that's that's going to continue to be the trend. I mean, there's no reason that they're not going to continue to just keep cutting commissions until it becomes almost pointless to even be an affiliate. Um, I mean, it's more like a paid traffic game, right? It's like you know, Amazon on one side has like their AdWords account, and on the other side they have their affiliate program, right? And they're looking at like how much do I make per sell, how much does it cost me, etc. The cost for ads went down and everyone, nobody could go into physical shops. Yeah. Should Amazon keep paying the same fees? Absolutely not, because the, like, even their AdWords was being charged less, you know? Sure. So it's like it's, it's, they're looking at all the numbers and they were overpaying for the, for the time. The thing is, uh, if these things last, I believe that is going to change people's habits and more people that used to not buy online will keep the habit of buying online. And so Amazon will be even more powerful and as a result, probably not bring the rates back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they're going to be getting any weaker through this whole thing. So no, um, no. <laughs> they're doing, they're doing, the yeah, they're doing just fine as a company. So, um, okay. Well, yeah. So I guess the last question, uh, for you would be, you know, where can people go to follow you and learn more about you, learn about authority hacker and the courses you have? Um, I mean, they can just go on, uh, the best way is go on com, and we have a free training there. So it's like, it's a webinar, there's a sales pitch at the end for the course, I'm not going to hide it. 
Um, but there's, before that, there's two hours of free content where we show exactly how we build our sites. So if people want to check that out, whether they buy the course or not, they get the value. We show the exact themes, the exact plugins, the setup, et cetera. So we show, we show some revenue numbers, all of that. So you can check that out. If you're interested in the course, great. If not, I hope you enjoyed the webinar, you know? <laughs> Okay, great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And once again, thank you so much for being on. And I definitely want to jump on again so we can dive into some of these topics a little bit deeper. Um, awesome. But yeah, Thanks for thank having you me. so. Yeah, of course.